Man, you taking notes? That's how you, that's how you talk to your beautiful, strong, confident woman. It's good to laugh at ourselves, particularly as it relates to some of our anxieties and insecurities, isn't it? From the mouths of the little kids, we, uh, we get some giggles that speak to who we really are, to be honest. <laughs> well, this morning we're continuing our four-week series titled An Answer to Anxiety, in which we're looking at uh, some of our most common anxieties and uh, Anxiety over finances and anxiety in the midst of trial and how we would grow in peace in the midst of trials, peace in the midst of finances. Today, peace within self. How do we grow in peace within self? And uh, I'm enjoying this series so far. I hope you are as well. The scriptures speak so much to the issues of fear and anxiety and peacelessness and then the longing that we all have to grow in that fruit of the Spirit that's called peace. So we're going to get into that in just a moment, but before we do, I wanted to give one quick update, Uh, just give a word of thanks to our church for the incredible generosity that you all showed at the end of the year. On the back of your handout, if you want to look at that, you'll see in the bottom left corner a giving update. And uh, you might remember the 1st of December, I stood up, and on behalf of the elders, I shared with you, though, that we were uh, a little bit below our expenses in terms of our receipts. And since that time, we finished uh, 70,000 above our expenses. And just an amazing demonstration of our church's generosity that we shared that concern that we wanted to finish in the black in the year and be tight financially, and you all responded uh, in incredibly generous ways for for us to close out uh, our calendar year in such a good financial picture. So I want to thank you for your generosity to our church. A lot of churches don't experience what we do. Uh, a generosity that wells up for our general offering and then also for our building program and our debt. And you see those numbers there also. And uh, just want to thank you on behalf of our elder board for your generosity to our church, particularly at the end of 2015. We're in a good spot. And, uh, you know, many, many churches would just be so uh, envious, so grateful to have the kind of Uh, generosity that we have here. So I want to give a a word of thanks to God for your generosity, as we know that everything we have has come from God, and you've chosen to be an instrument of that. So I want to give a thanks to God for that, and then we will open up to Philippians chapter 4 and enter into an answer to anxiety. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning that we get to be together in worship. Thank you for the beautiful songs where we can bring our voices up to heaven and sing of your great love. We thank you, Lord, for all the great things that are happening in this church and to hear about the care and recovery ministries that are happening here, uh, grief share and divorce care and single moms and R3, which helps deal with people's addictions. And I, I pray, Lord, your hand of blessing on each of these ministries, on those who are leading those ministries. They are a critical part of our church body. And I pray that they would be uh, tremendous instruments of your love to help people recover through the challenges they're currently facing. Father, thank you for the generosity of our church and for the ways that you have given to us such that we would give to others and supply the needs of your church. And I praise you, God, for the way that has occurred here in this church family. Bless you for every person here and the way you're caring for us. I do pray for any that are struggling here today financially. As we talk about uh, generosity in this giving update, we remember that some are struggling financially, and so we ask your blessing on them today, wherever they might be. 
Now, Father, as we open up the scripture, teach us. Bring our thoughts toward you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, again, we're talking about the anxiety that we hate and the peace that we so long for. I tell you, if someone gives me one more thing to be worried about, I don't think I'll be able to get to that worry for at least two weeks. One man said to another man, I'll give you $1,000 if you just take my worries from me. To which the other man said, you bet, you got a deal. Now where's my $1,000? The first man said, well, that's the first thing you got to worry about. <laughs> Sorry, ding, lame attempt at sermon illustration humor. I'll try better next week, okay? Worry is just a deal for so many of us. I looked at a number of definitions for worry last week. One of them is to become detached and unraveled. The Greek word worry and anxiety, closely related to it, means to be pulled apart, to be stretched in different directions, such that your hopes and dreams take you one place and your fears and anxieties and insecurities take you to a different place, such that you feel pulled apart from within. The old English root word for worry means to strangle. Perhaps a good visual for worry is this. You got one of these in your home? They get tangled up within a couple days. To be pulled apart, to be vexed, to be confused, to be pulled in different directions such that you have a knot within you that can't ever seem to get untangled. Anyone been there? That is to worry. Now, there's a big difference between worry and concern, between anxiety and concern. I'll use the word worry and anxiety interchangeably here this morning, but there's a big difference between those and concern. Worry controls you. Worry has this force about it that can grab you and control you, whereas concern is something that you can control. Concern is that which we should all do. We plan for the future. We are cautious about some things. We are concerned about our families, but we control that such that it doesn't overtake us. But worry is the kind of thing that controls us such that we have these physiological responses to our anxieties. Some of us, as I mentioned last week, I carry my worries on my shoulders. Others, in terms of headaches. Others still in their gut, and others still it turns into ulcers. Worry and anxiety has the power to control us. They can vex us and pull us in different directions such that we are a shadow of what we hope to be. We all struggle with it from time to time. There's a study on anxiety from 2011 that said 60% of Americans listed worry or anxiety as their number one daily temptation. Not the other things that would come to mind, lust or anger or greed or spending too much, being impulsive or gambling. Worry was the number one temptation listed by 60% of Americans. Psychologist Robert Leahy writes, we live in an age of anxiety. We've literally become a nation of nervous wrecks. 
As the old saying goes, when it comes to mass media, if it bleeds, it, it leads, I heard someone say. If it bleeds, it leads. And so we see our national newscasts dictated by things that would cause more and more anxiety for us. Scott Bader Say has written a book titled, The Little Freckle on Your Arm Might Just Be a Time Bomb. We, uh, we're taught that we should worry some more. He notes in that book that, to cite just one example, between 1990 and 1998, the murder rate in the United States actually decreased by 20%. But during those same nine years, the number of newscast stories on murder in the United States increased by 600%. If it bleeds, it leads. I'll stop there with the statistics because I don't want you to feel more worried about what we're worrying about. This is an issue that the Bible addresses head on. It addresses our worries, our fears, our anxieties, our insecurities. It addresses the sense of peacelessness. And it also addresses this beautiful thing called the fruit of the Spirit, which includes love and joy and, and peace. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, as we get the Holy Spirit into us, will result in a greater peace with God and therefore a greater peace within our very selves. We talked last week about how we might have more peace with others. And that's really critical that we work toward peace with others. That we would acknowledge our own part in the failure, our own part in the conflict. That we would bring in backup help to mediate the conflict when necessary. That we would commit to work it out and that we would drop it like the dead weight it is as soon as we possibly can. That works toward peace with others. This morning we want to talk about peace with self. Next week will be an extension of this message as well as we look at peace in the midst of the trial. This is really part one of a two-part message, and we'll be in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Pretty good passage, isn't it? We like a little bit more of that. Well, what, where does this anxiety that the Apostle Paul speaks of here, where does it come from? I think, as I noted already, some of it comes from our media intake we live in an age in which we are exposed to more horrific stories than any people in all of history ever. And it's not even close. Be it through social media or traditional media forms, we are constantly being exposed to fear-inducing stories, which is, wise, which is why it is wise for us to intentionally fast from media from time to time. Do you do that? Do you put aside the cell phones and the iPads and 
the computers and the other media devices and the television to fast from that because so much of what we get from media is made to induce fear. Sometimes anxiety comes from our psychological makeup or just from the pressures of life. Mothers seem inherently better at worrying about their kids than fathers. Can I get an amen, moms? <laughs> it's just a fact. And some of us seem to deal with a, a brain chemistry issue. There are some people who seem to be disposed toward depression and disposed to general anxiety, and that's a very serious thing, and I will never shame anyone from this stage for having that. And if that's your situation, counseling can be beneficial. Some of the recovery ministries can be beneficial. Sometimes even medication might be beneficial. Sometimes I want to argue, though, excessive worry and anxiety comes from Satan. I'm not sure that it all comes from Satan, and we don't want to hear this in our modern-day culture, which wants nothing to do with this idea that there would be an enemy who is prowling about looking for someone to devour. But two of the titles for the enemy of our soul that is provided for us by, by the Scriptures are accuser and slanderer. Now, I don't know about you, when I'm struggling with anxiety or worry, it oftentimes sounds like accusation or slander. Perhaps you have some of these tapes that kind of play and then rewind in your mind, such that you hear these messages over and over again on a regular basis. I don't have anything to offer. I'm, I'm just not good enough. I just can't seem to ever measure up to other people's expectations. God didn't give me anything special. I am ugly. Perhaps they would be better off without me. Have you had those messages? If you have, I want to encourage you to consider the possibility that those didn't simply come from yourself or from some other person. Those may have come from the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of those who would follow Christ, the one who would slander you. That is slander from the enemy, and you want to refuse it in the name of Jesus. That is the enemy slandering you. Other times we get these messages, God really doesn't care about you. If God really cared about you, he wouldn't allow this to happen to me. Oh, if God was at all concerned about you, he's not with you. Perhaps you've heard those kinds of messages. And if you've heard those kinds of messages, I would like to argue that maybe that is the enemy slandering God to you. Either way, you want to refuse that as quickly as you hear it in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord and hold on to the truth that is found in the cross of Christ. Refuse those lies. I used to believe that all worry was sin, almost like we should be floating around in this ethereal wisp of peacefulness. I'm not so sure about that anymore because I see instances like the one that we see from our Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And maybe you remember when Jesus is in the garden, he's praying underneath this glorious olive tree, and he asks a few of his closest friends to come pray with him as he's in great distress. And the Bible tells us that he was so distressed that his sweat became like drops of blood. His heart was overwhelmed. I don't, I don't know if that was worry or anxiety, but it was something similar to it. So also the Apostle Paul, if you look back a couple chapters, 
to Philippians chapter 2, verse 28, he says this, I am the more eager to send him, that is Epaphroditus, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Uh, what's going on there with Paul? Is he saying, I'm anxious to send uh, my dear friend Epaphroditus back to you in Philippi, and in admitting my anxiety, I am sinning here? Is that what's going on with Paul? Possibly, but I kind of doubt it. I think something else is going on here. He's saying, I am anxious to send my friend back to you because I am concerned that he gets to his proper destination, and I am filled with a concern for him. I care about his well-being, and that form of anxiety, he's saying, is actually motivating me to action to provide for his safekeeping as he comes to you. Occasionally, it seems, anxiety or worry could be a good thing that motivates a proper concern, a proper form of action, such that we are led to do something, led to, uh, to go make a difference in some way when something clearly is not right, at least to the extent that it might motivate us to action and not control us, not vex us, not tangle us up that form of anxiety may at times even be helpful. Now, I want to be careful to say that's not because anxiety is natural. Anxiety, of course, is natural to all of us. Worry is natural to all of us. But that doesn't make it good because what else is natural to us? Greed, selfishness, anger, lust, pride, to name a few, are all natural to us, but they certainly are not good. But my point is that, like here with Paul, worry can sometimes be used for good to motivate proper planning or to alert us to danger. We should be concerned and cautious about many things. We should lock our doors. We should watch out for slippery roads and slippery friends. And on and on, there's a proper concern but worry is what we do when we've already planned, already prepared well, and yet still we find ourselves stewing over something such that internal peace is absolutely gone. At that point, we've probably crossed over the line from caution to worry. And unfortunately, some of us are living on the other side of that line, where we're constantly living in worry. And if you're in that place today, or even if you struggle with this from time to time, or maybe you know someone who really struggles with worry. Here again, the scriptures provide us help. And the big idea, if you take nothing else with you today, you take this big idea home, God offers to exchange our anxieties for his peace. That's the point of this passage that we just read. God offers to exchange our anxieties for his peace. And a huge part of the way that he would do that for our benefit is gratitude. And so the first thing that we want to do as we read this passage is commit, along with the Apostle Paul, to rejoice every day. He says here in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, I say again, rejoice. In whatever circumstances you might find yourself in, find something to rejoice over. This is one of the main ideas in the book of Philippians. In fact, I would say this is the main idea Sixteen different times we hear, hear the word joy in Philippians four chapters. Paul's saying, in the midst of very, very sorry circumstances, you can still rejoice in the Lord. You can still find something to rejoice over. 
This is the way the New Living Translation describes the great exchange of God's peace for our anxiety in verses 6 and 7. It says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has already done. Then you'll experience more of God's peace. Isn't that a great word? It's so simple. Pray about what you need. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he has done. And then you'll start to experience some more peace. We give thanks constantly. We choose to rejoice because for the joy set before him, Christ Jesus died for us. Think about all the different reasons we have to rejoice. Matt mentioned this morning at Sanctity of Life Sunday, God chose to make you. God didn't have to make you. God chose to make you such that there is no accident in this room. Can I get an amen to that? There are no accidents in this room. You could even be an accident to your mother and father, but you are no accident to God. You were intentionally created by him, loved by him. He sends his son Jesus far from heaven to earth to die for us, to bring us to him. There are no accidents to God. He's in charge. He loves us. He is sovereign over the universe, and he ultimately will be the victor. He has given us his Holy Spirit who is always with us no matter what circumstances we might go through. And in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can know that he will sustain us. He won't always heal the difficult circumstance we're in, but he will sustain us by the power of his Holy Spirit. He's made us in his image. He's given us this church. He's given us unity here. He's given us so much. And so we choose to rejoice. We choose to give thanks. Listen to me clearly. Attitude is a choice. We can't choose our circumstances. I wish we could. There are some things that I would change about my circumstances. But none of us chooses our circumstances. What we can choose is our reaction to those circumstances. And that's why Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. That's why he says, rejoice always. I say again, rejoice. There is something that we must do. Here would be a great activity. After you wake up out of bed each morning and you're tempted to get on with the day as soon as you can, let your knees hit the ground. Let your knees hit the carpet. And find three or four things that you can give thanks to God for this day. Rejoice every day. And then release your cares by prayer. We're invited to turn our cares into prayers. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, pray. Keep trusting God. Keep releasing these cares by prayer. Spend time with him in prayer. You, you see, God has instituted prayer for us as one of his most gratuitous gifts to personally care for us. I'm concerned that there are many Christians who see prayer as this 30-second activity that we do three times per day before we fill our bellies. This little obligation, it's far more than that. It's a means by which we talk to God and we get to know Him. It's a means by which we express our genuine concerns and we cast them on Him. It's a means by which we thank God and we get to know God on a personal level and learn to praise Him. Prayer is a gift. It's not an obligation. I just finished reading the Psalms, and it's amazing as you read through the Psalms how frequently you hear this refrain, I sought the Lord, and He answered me. 
He heard my cry. And so I will keep calling on him as long as I live. Look at this one from Psalm 34. Let's all read this together. Would you join me? I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him. Again, God doesn't have to hear our prayers. He wants to hear our prayers. He hears them, and he saves us in the midst of those troubles, such that we could even say, my face is radiant because I've been in the presence of God. I've given my prayers to him, and they are now in his very capable hands. Here you go, God, here's my anxiety. Would you take it? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Another verse is First Peter 5, 7 which says simply, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It envisions rolling a bowling ball, this big, dead, ugly weight, down the lane to God. And God, would you take it? Yes, I'll take it. Why? Because I care for you. Cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. Now, this, of course, is no substitute for our own responsibility. It's both and. It's both we give our cares to God by prayer, and then also we acknowledge that we have some things that we are responsible for, and it's our job to take care of those. C.S. Lewis famously quipped, if you notice that there are weeds in your garden, go out and pick them. Don't pray about them. Go out and pick them. And so you identify, what are those things that God would give me to be responsible for? What are those weeds that are happening in my own garden that I am responsible for taking care of? Go out and pick those. The rest, we cast our cares on God. And so whether you're turned upside down over some concern for money or a 401k plan that's not going the way you hoped it would, or some failure in your past or some concern about the future, this daily discipline is what God invites us to, that day in and day out we would get in the habit of surrendering our prayers to him, turning those into cares that he can hold on to. And, and you, you know, sometimes, I, I don't know about you, I, I don't even have the words to pray when I'm anxious, when I'm worried. I, I struggle with worry too. And when I don't have the words to pray, I need to pick up the phone and call a handful of guys that I know will pray for me any time of day or night. Again, I hope this is what our life groups would be providing for each other. Of course, Bible study but also in our life groups, we could love each other through real, authentic prayer, not for our nephew twice removed, but for each other. For the significant issues that we each are dealing with, that that would be a place of vulnerability and authenticity where it's safe to pray for each other. The prayer partners on Sunday morning are here for the very same purpose. Transparency is valued here. It's okay to not be okay when you come into Carney E. Free. And slowly but surely, the lifestyle of releasing our cares through prayer, we begin to surrender control and build trust and let go of our anxieties. Now, listen to the beauty of these words. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's this great exchange that we give up our anxiety and he gives us his peace in response. 
It's a promise that he offers. One of his most beautiful gifts in the scriptures is take our anxieties and give us peace in response. And sometimes that'll happen over the course of many years. And there's much that we must do, but we give this to God. And then finally, we reflect on the good stuff. We reflect on the good stuff of life. You sit on and you meditate and you rehearse that which is good and true and pure. To pick on the media just one more time, if I can. This is how your 5.30 p.m. national news will go if you watch it tonight. I don't have foreknowledge about many things, but I have foreknowledge about this. It'll be about 10, 12 minutes of nonstop gratuitous violence, and then commercial break. And there'll be about five minutes of political fighting that is intended to make your blood boil, and then commercial break. And there'll be another three or four minutes of uh, national weather that promises one foot of snow that actually materializes into one inch of snow, and then commercial break. And then finally, maybe a 60-second story about some beautiful yellow lab somewhere, and we're all done. This is what our culture does. This is what our media does. It rehearses the bad stuff, the ugly stuff. And so we want to be a countercultural Christian influence for our kids and for those around us that chooses to influence, chooses to reflect upon, chooses to rehearse that which is good and true and pure and lovely and right and excellent and admirable and praiseworthy and dwell on those things. The Apostle Paul tells us in verses 8 and 9. Dwell on those things. Friends, your thought life is critical. Your thought life is critical to your Christianity. It is critical to your parenting. It is critical to your marriage. Look at this verse, verse 8 and 9. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if anything is admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, sit on that. Chew on that, cogitate it, be like a cow that chews up its cud and it goes down and then it comes back up. Chew on those good things. And the God of peace will be with you. I, I tell you, if you read People magazine cover to cover, your mind is going to be filled with gossip. It's going to be filled with gossipful thoughts. If you sit on the internet all day, your mind is going to be captured by lustful thoughts and lustful images because that's all over the internet. If you are watching the stock market go up and down all day, every day, you're going to be filled with anxiety over money. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan properly. We shouldn't think about the future. We shouldn't have 401ks. I'm not saying any of that. Please save that email for someone else. Okay, all of that is appropriate. But if you're constantly watching that, you'll be filled with anxiety. If you're constantly listening to political talk radio or watching political talk shows, you're going to be filled with fear and anxiety. What we fill our minds with is critical. I was with a gentleman a couple weeks ago who uh, loves photography, and he was taking different pictures of creation and just showing them to me in my office before we had a meeting together. And he was marveling at the beauty, the intricate detail of a single snowflake. And then he was marveling at the beauty and all the different colors on a single duck. And he showed me a picture that he took of a sunset over the Platte River here in Kearney. 
And he just kind of broke into worship. He didn't, he didn't start singing, but he, he said, isn't God so special? Isn't God so amazing? He, he said, who else could do that, Adrian? Who else could possibly do that? And it led me to the sense of worship with him in the midst of this meeting as we were getting ready for yet another meeting in which I was a little bit worried about that next meeting. But because I started to worship, because of his worship, as he looked at God's great work in creation, those anxieties found their proper place. Thinking about the right thing can replace the wrong thing. God offers to exchange our anxieties for his peace. And part of the way that he gives this gratuitous gift for us is that we would rejoice every day. That we would release our cares into his loving hands through the instrument of prayer. And as we would reflect on that which is good and right and true. I want to show you a video this morning of a wonderful woman who you may know named Carrie Carpenter. And Carrie's been through a great trial and she's experienced significant fear and anxiety. But God has been with her in it, and she's still in process, and her story shows God's loving care and concern in the midst of anxiety and how she's leaned into him and how he has changed her in the midst of her pain. Take a look. I, just in thinking back on my life this far, um, I've known, I've known Jesus for 30 years now, and just, he has shown me so much um, through the trials that I have faced, and I've learned to see them as a classroom to work through and understand um, what he wants me to gain from them, um, instead of fear being a bad thing. Um, now, anxiety is a, a really bad, debilitating thing that eats away at me, and and I can't um, I can't function the way that God wants me to when I'm feeling anxious and focused on myself. Um, but as I look up to Him and I've learned to do this um, through the different trials over the years, I have learned um, just what it means to find peace and joy in the middle of some pretty huge storms. In 1992, I was married, and so it's been about 25 years now, and just had great anticipation. Both my husband and I really wanted to know the Lord and wanted to start off on the right foot in our marriage together. I fully believed that we would be making a covenant before God that was until death do us part. We moved here four years ago, our family of five, and three years ago was probably my greatest fear to date, where I heard from my husband, I want a divorce. That was harder than any. That was harder than anything. Just, you know, those, and I know many, many people have experienced this kind of a heartbreak. Um, just the whole, the death of my marriage idol is one way I've come to look at it, where what I thought what God would do with us um, in my marriage didn't happen. 
and um, I knew his heart was far from me a lot of times over the years, but I just want to talk a little bit about how I found peace during that particular storm, because that's the most recent and the hardest, has hit me the hardest. Um, you know, I just realized, you know, I don't get to decide God's, what God's big, big picture is for me or for anybody else, um, and that I trust his big picture. And I knew from a past experience that there just were things I could control and things that I couldn't control. Just wondering about my children and their mental and spiritual and physical well-being, um, myself too, but just thinking, um, you know, how could this work out for good, that this was not, um, this, it was hard to understand how God could use this for good. So um, just remembered to look at Jesus and not the raging storm around me, remembered to seek him first and that he would order my steps, that, um, you know, God's word was the very air that I needed to breathe. Um, Philippians 4, 6 to 8 has been just a real mainstay in my spiritual diet over the years, but especially over the last few years as I've been going through this, you know, be anxious for nothing, which easy to stay, hard to do, um, but it is doable in Christ. And, um, you know, whatever is pure and lovely and true and right to dwell on these things. I know that Jesus said, I knew this from the beginning, I've known it all along since I've walked with him, I know it now, that as Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, that I've been forgiven with that kind of love. And so I can forgive and I choose peace. I can pray for my ex-husband. I, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not I'm not here trying to say that he needs prayers and I don't. I need prayers too. We all need prayers. We're all imperfect and we all need God to be right and healthy. That's that's my story this far. I'm still on the journey. I'm still, um, I enjoy my time with God. I enjoy being around his people. I need his people. Um, they have been, you know, the courage and the strength that I've needed when I have felt weak and held my arms up to him in prayer when I couldn't. And so thank you. Some of you are out there right now that have done that. Thank you and thank you, Lord. Quite a story, huh? It's just a piece of her story. And uh, God has provided for her again and again and again. Carrie, are you in here? There she is. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing that. It's just a piece of one woman's story which God has provided again and again and again. And you heard her say, I've had to choose peace. I've had to choose to reflect on what is good and right and pure and lovely. I've had to keep on praying and trust that God would take my anxieties and give me his peace. And, and Carrie's still in process. And we're all still in process. But she celebrates for us there what we all want to celebrate this morning. That in Christ, we're not slaves to any fear. Amen? In Christ, we are not slaves to any anxiety. And in Christ, we need not 
be slaves to any worry. So I'm going to ask the band to come up right now, and we're going to sing that, that we, we are not slaves to fear because we are children of God. And as they come forward, I, I just want to pray over you, and uh, we'll ask that these words could become our prayers as well as we sing. Father in heaven, we thank you that our fears, our worries, our anxieties need not be the final word. But you are the great restorer, and you have offered as one of your most beautiful promises to take our anxieties and give us your peace instead. And so on behalf of this beautiful church, we, we present our anxieties to you. We give them to you, Lord. We ask that you take them like the dead weight they are and you'd be in the process of giving us peace instead. That as we sing now, we would stand or we would kneel or we would sit or we would raise our hands or however we do it and we would acknowledge the reality of this truth. I'm a child of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a son of God. And if that is true, I can get through whatever it is I am going through today. Because we're your children, God, we, we need not be enslaved by fears any longer. So we give them to you. Would you please take them, Lord? Would you do a work in us? We love you, Lord. We give you great praise for who you are and all you do in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Would you make this your prayer?